Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast, episode 234. We have eight shopping days left till Christmas, folks. It's wild. I can't believe the time is upon us. Uh, joining us this week from Utica College's graduate studies program, my good friend Kelly uh, Citron is here to talk about education, uh, international relations, uh, politics, all more about that. Also this week, uh, we're going to say farewell to some of the most popular and interesting brands of the 2010s. Uh, we're going to talk about James Bond, John Gotti. We're going to talk about the word of the year for 2019. Uh, all of this and more, folks. Heather is back. Kevin is here. I am here. It's the Uticast, episode 234. And as always, we are happy to have you here. Oh, yes. Cast episode 234. The gang is all here. Heather, you're back. I know, I'm We're back. so happy to see you recovering from the sickness. You had a sickness? Yeah, everybody, I had like swollen glands at my whole like left side, my ear, my whole glands are swelling for like three days. Kev, you tell me all the time that I get sick more than most people. Does Heather... Have I ever said that? I think you you told me that before. Really? I feel like you told me that. It doesn't sound like a thought that exists in my brain at all, but all right. I feel like Heather gets sick more than I do. Yeah, you don't get sick. I get sick pretty good. You get sick. When I get sick, it's a bad sickness, generally. I get like a nasty sickness. You both almost died last year. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) No, it's because I'm back in the workforce again. So I'm around sick people all the time that are around. Plus your kid is going to germ factories every day, right? So he's bringing me stuff home that I'm probably, he's not even getting, but I'm Plus you're susceptible to exotic animal diseases, being up there at the zoo. It's true. Never know. Mark Simon diseases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the worst of the worst. The bad one. The bad one. Worst of the worst. And, of course, happy Hanukkah to Mark Simon and all of our uh, Jewish friends joining us here this week. Uh, we are nine days away from the Christmas holiday proper, so I ask you once again, Heather, how's your shopping coming? Good. Are you done? I'm done. Wow, really? Totally done? Yep. I have to go get some gift cards. I have to go on the gift card run mm-hmm. for shopping. It's like all one big giant run. Uh, Kevin, welcome back, as always. Yo. How's your Christmas shopping going? Uh, excellent. Let me ask you a question. you got a lot of shows coming up over the next couple of weeks here, I'm sure, for, for playing in the band. Uh, we're, you were kind of at the end of that cycle, but yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I was going to ask, have you learned any Christmas songs? Tons. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're, yeah, we're cranking Christmas songs out there. Nice. What's your, what's the, what's your favorite of the Christmas songs you're rocking right now? Um, I mean, you love, you love to pop the crowd, and there's very <laughs> few songs that we do that turn the whole place into pandemonium, like All I Want for Christmas is You. Mariah Carey, yeah, people true. go nuts, and especially because we have uh, we have all male vocalists in the band, so we play it down about um, I think a step and a half from the original recording, maybe. Um, you know, insider term there for all the musicians listening. We play <laughs> it about one and a half steps down from the original, um, but nobody's expecting it because we have a male singer, but everybody knows it, and so it starts with that little twinkle, and nobody knows. But once that first hit, because it's got that slow dramatic start, once it's the uh, and that first note, mm-hmm. people just go nuts. Then by the time it picks up, like it's literally, it looks like a metal show. So we played at Celtic Harp on Saturday night for the end of SantaCon. Mm-hmm. 
And we played that song late, like towards the end of the night, and the bar was packed and everybody was drunk, and it literally looked like a Pantera concert. Oh, yeah. It was I mean, just people just going nuts, like practically moshing for I, All I Want for Christmas is You. You could argue that All I Want for Christmas is You is the single best modern Christmas song. Like, uh, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. non, like, if you're ignoring all, like, the Jingle Bells, mm-hmm. Silver Bells, for standard sure. style songs. We play songs. a bunch of, uh, what I didn't know for other Christmas songs we're doing, I didn't know that Bruce Springsteen had so many Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, between, uh, literally, between, like, <laughs> classic covers and then his own, Tom Petty's also got one. We do that, uh, that Baby Please Come Home, the mm. one that you two oh, yeah. did, like, a big that. cover of for years and years. You do have a, you put, he's gonna put that version of that on next week's show. Next week, probably. Yeah. Um... But yes, yeah, so we play that. That's fun. Um, not playing as many Christmas songs as we learned or have prepared, mm-hmm. only because a lot of people don't really like Christmas music. It's a great point. Uh, a lot of people really don't care to hear it. I have not played a Christmas song for myself this year. I'm usually on putting Christmas music on, too. I'm like one of those guys who likes Christmas music, and I have not listened to one Christmas song on my own uh-huh. volition mm-hmm. this year. Sure. What about you, Heather? Where's your Christmas song actually? This you... is my first year where I've actually got into it because I didn't know Kaz was learning songs at preschool. That makes and sense. And he started singing some in the car, and then I started singing it, and it was actually kind of fun. But normally I don't want, I don't, I'm not a big Christmas music person. But with him, it's been fun. I'm trying to think of what my go-to Christmas song is. Like, my first, I actually like the Dean Martin version of Silver Bells. Because it's so boozy. It's so boozy. It is hot walks. You can feel, like, the martini on his breath. Sure. I like the Bruce Springsteen ones. Because yeah, the Bruce Springsteen ones are good. I don't even like the songs. I just like when he talks to the crowd beforehand. He's like, hey there, you crowd. You guys been good for Christmas? No, no. he's That's it's not many. He, it's where he specifically talks to the band. I think it's in his version of Santa yeah. Claus is coming to town. He goes, he goes, the band, you boys been practicing your instruments real good. The band's been good. <laughs> yeah. There's also a bad Tom Petty one where um, at the end of it, he's like, Santa, I want a new Rickenbacker guitar and a Fender Twin amp and like this, like... Uh, like Chuck Berry song book and it's like yo <laughs> guys do less cocaine in the 80s <laughs> but, hey, I know you can't really retrofit that but my husband always likes to tell everybody that I like Josh Groban yeah he's I good I do I love him he's if, I'm get in, if I'm gonna get into Christmas spirit it'll probably be with him there you go it'll be him see That's my guy my family gets mad if I put on Christmas music and it's not the definitive yeah, Christmas. Yeah. Like, I'll put on a version of, like, Last Christmas by Jimmy World, as opposed to... That was a very hot-button issue in the band this year. Really? The Jimmy, the Jimmy World, World Last Christmas? Well, because the Jimmy World Last Christmas is, like, the, one of the most half-assed of half-assed covers there's ever been. They do, like, half the song, yeah. repeat the chorus, like, nine times, mm-hmm. don't change the beat once through the whole thing. Yeah. That was the thing. I'm trying to... Did we do Christmas songs? Uh, Last Christmas by Jimmy World. Didn't we do something else, though? I thought we did another Christmas song as well, somewhere along the line. I think we maybe we tried. Did we ever do the that one Blink Christmas song? I won't be home. For I won't Christmas. be home for Christmas. I think we might have done that uh, back in, in the day. In the old cover band that I was in in New York, we used to do Holiday Road, which is not really a Christmas song. No, not at all. But it is sort of from Christmas Vacation. Or Vacation, I forget which one it is. A vacation. It reminds me of Christmassy, though, like that whole Holiday Road song. That song would go over during the holidays for whatever reason. With you. With me. In your head. Big fan <laughs> of Holiday Road. <laughs> Not even looking at the back to the crowd, this kid. Just having his own moment. <laughs> I found out long ago. Uh, that's a good one. That's a fun Those one. lyrics? Those are the lyrics to that I song. I see. Uh, Heather, so Kevin and I spent, I mean, a good 10, 15 minutes last week 
breaking down the Irishman in a definitive fashion. Uh, but we wanted to give you at least 10 to 15 minutes today of your own, of your own time to break down the Irishman. I'm so excited you guys are giving me this chance. Because you had promised. You said two weeks yeah. ago you were going to watch it and come back. You yeah. said you were going to be on the show last week and we were talking about it then. Yeah, I didn't so watch what did it. you think of the Irishman? I didn't watch it. Didn't watch I didn't watch it. <laughs> I went outside and I went outside and did stuff outside and stuff. Ooh, that was a very snarky answer. Very oh, snarky. snarky. Yeah, it was. No, it was a little. It was Maybe back, next week I'll give you. It was backdoor snarky. I like that. It was good. <laughs> Uh, actually, it's funny. Christmas in my family weirdly means we are going to go to the movies. It's like oh, a yeah. weird. Well, you, you people, because you got to fill twelve days. These people take That's the true. twelve days of Christmas like, so serious? seriously in Sam's family. Uh, yeah, yeah, two whole weeks. Well, I mean, we've talked about this in the podcast and past Christmas episodes, I'm sure. But my family, this is our big holiday. We don't get together for Thanksgiving the way we used to. We don't get together for like Easter or anything like that. But Christmas is the one, right? So, I am going to have pretty much my entire family here. All my nieces and nephews, both my sisters and brother-in-laws. It's going to be a wild week and a half coming up. It just makes me laugh because I totally know what you mean, but I'm thinking about it out of context. Like now, I don't know if you guys know this, my family's a little strange, but like Christmas, kind of a big holiday with us. It's like, yeah, bud, Christmas is well, kind of the big I, holiday. Well, I, I wonder I know though, what you mean, though. Because I always said, I said last week, Thanksgiving was a big holiday for us for years, and it has really taken a hit as we've all gotten a little older and the kids have gotten older and people have broken apart. But for some reason... Even though that's happened at Thanksgiving, for Christmas, our family decides that it doesn't it's matter. It's because Christmas is Christmas. Yeah. Every family decides that. Mm-hmm. Christmas is the one. Mm-hmm. Christmas is the one. Oh, that was... A, you know what? This brings me to a good point that I wanted to bring up with you guys. You might have said this to me already. Have you heard that they are? there's a discussion about parents about how they're framing Santa Claus presents from now on? They're framing? Yeah. No. The argument is that the presents you get from Santa should be the small tiny presents and that any big presents you get should be from your parents because then the kids go and talk about it like how come santa gave my kid a playstation 4 and the other kid only got like a doll or something you know what i mean that's thoughtful makes a lot of sense i feel like i guess it's thoughtful but i really just don't care you know (laughs) you're not into it you didn't care about other people's kids i mean i do care about other people's kids but i'm not gonna change how i i was ready i was uh, to be honest with you i was ready to dump all over that notion uh before you explained it but Mm -hmm. once you explained that i think that it's it makes a good point for sure right sort of evens the the playing field of santa as a broader concept i look at it differently because i don't like paw patrol Mm -hmm. and things like that so I don't want oh, to buy him them things. So if he gets one of the big Paw Patrol, Santa got it for him, not Mom. Mm-hmm. Mom gets him, like, the learning activity games and things like that. So Santa's the one who will bring, like, the gifts that... You think your kid's going to judge you if he thinks you like Paw Patrol? No, no. He's going to expect me to buy those things for him all the time. All the time? So Santa buys him those kind of things. Yeah, I don't. I can see that. That's interesting. So, like, Santa yeah. brings, like, the unrealistic toy that I won't... I won't buy throughout the year. Won't for go him. get other. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you could also frame that as like, yo, it's Christmas. It's a one-time thing. I can't buy you presents like that all the time. Yeah, it's or that. it's more or less like they are behaving all year and they've been good and they want this one particular present and Santa's gonna bring it to them. I don't know. I just don't. I think it's silly that we have to change the way we do things. I'm sure we. Nobody's saying anybody has yeah. to, but I do think it's a thoughtful notion that like. If you can afford to get your kid like a, a PlayStation and like this dope like snowboard and this and that, and they all come from Santa and they go into class, certainly when they're a little bit older, like your kid is literally like a, you know infant yeah. practically still. <laughs> but like when you're six and kids yeah. still believe in Santa, yeah. but they go home, they're like, oh wow, how come Santa doesn't love me? All he brought me was you know like this little orange. like rinky dink Kmart toy, yeah. and Santa brought you a PlayStation. I must be a really bad kid. Yeah, that's a that's a re- that's a real thing. Yeah, in like school for kids, I can see age wise, I depends, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I was 
very poor lit when I was little, mm-hmm. and I didn't get things other kids got, and I never thought that. Yeah, yeah you I, didn't. I, I, I didn't think that. I was just it's, so happy with what I but got. but some people might. I think the whole thing is kind of silly. Yeah. Like, if we really, I think about really it. comes down to brass tacks. Yeah. So I think about it in hindsight. You know, I've said before, when I was a kid, I was, my parents did pretty well. My mom was a teacher. My dad had his own business. They had, they had money. Not a lot mm-hmm. of money, but they, they had spending money. Mm-hmm. They would really go out on Christmas. Like, I remember years, like, going down to, like, look at the Christmas presents, and there would be a full Fisher-Price train set up in the living room. Like, these outrageous gifts that I never played with. And in hindsight, I'm like, you guys are kind of doing this for yourselves? Like, is this more, like, because... Yeah, that's definitely part of it, Like, you want to, like, I don't mean in a malicious way. I just mean, like, you want to do this big Christmas thing for your family. You think you're supposed to, but, like... I barely remember anything from that except just like, oh yeah, look at that, a train, right? Like it doesn't, uh-huh. it didn't resonate with me the way that I think they wanted it Wonder to. Wonder if it would have resonated with you though if there was very little under that tree. That's a good point Wonder too. Wonder if that would have resonated. Because mm-hmm. when you were, because like now with the hindsight, it's one of the interesting things when we talk about our own childhoods and we try to process them as we become adults is it's impossible to put yourself back in back in the mindset you had as like a seven-year-old or whatever. So it's easy to look at it now and be like, geez, yeah, you know, when I was seven, all I cared about was the moments with my friends and family. But like, really, though, when you were seven, did you actually? Because if you had come down and nothing was under there, you might have taken that mm. a certain type of way as well. You know what I mean? That's true. Um, yeah, I think as a kid, I didn't realize that we were on the have and not have not side of things, right? Mm. Like, we... we I always had really big, elaborate Christmases growing up. Sure. I think also, though, when my parents got divorced, and I got into that age where I was old enough to understand that, I was aware when Christmas started to change. Like, the idea of what Christmas was was very different. Mm-hmm. And as the years have gone on, that's gotten even more awkward as time goes on. Sure, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So, cool. Uh, <laughs> we'll spend... Well, I mean, I don't want to go forever on Christmas stuff, because we're going to talk about Christmas stuff a lot next week in our Christmas episode, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but there are a few things uh, I just wanted to mention real quick. Uh, I just want to get out of the way. These are just some Sam notes. Ooh. Some Sam notes. Quick Sam, Sam notes. That's right. Um, oh, I like this. This is my last week of working. Uh, for, Ever. He's retired. For, yeah, I'm on. Uh, this is my last week of working my current job. So oh. I'm very concerned and nervous about what the future holds. Student teaching and all that. Uh, I did find out this week that I did pass my New York oh, State yeah. certification test. Hey, hell yeah. Yeah, how about that? Um which is shocking to me because I always assumed these certification tests were sort of like the the food uh, test that when the people come in to inspect restaurants, they want you to fail mm-hmm. so that you can pay more money to do it again. I assumed that I was going to fail because they want you to pay money to take the test twice because I'm very cynical. Right. But yes. thankfully, my immense historical intellect saved me nice. once again. <laughs> Congratulations. I have to admit, I was really concerned going into it. I wasn't. I thought you were going to do great. When I, here's the thing, though. Like... I, everything I do now in school is education-based, like mm-hmm. lesson plans and coming up with education. We very rarely do any history stuff. I'm relatively out of verse with it unless I'm taking the time myself sure. to like to work on it myself. But So a lot of big changes coming up. Uh, I don't know what it means for the podcast. I sort of teased last week that I'm not sure what it means going forward. About Nothing different, I bet. Depends, because I won't get paid anymore for the next six months. Right. Right, so... Uh, I have uh, quietly debated whether or not we should do some sort of Patreon type thing here for this show. I know. Oh, we're... I don't know if you want the depressing results of that. <laughs> be getting zero dollars, my friend. I know. I it's know. not a shot at anybody who listens. We love all you people, but like we're not. No, ain't nobody paying us. No, I know. And plus, everybody contributes what? Oh, two bucks a month. Well, great. Here you go. Here's twelve dollars. I love it. I mean? Twelve dollars a month. I can use it. Uh, anyway, so a lot of big changes coming up. Uh, however, three big things going on for me. Number one. 
Buffalo Bills made the playoffs this weekend. So for all the Buffalo Bills fans out there who were riding high on the back of the Buffalo Bills, I'm right here with you, number one. Number two, my beloved Liverpool FC are in first place in the Premier League. You don't care, Heather. I can tell I you. Care. I care. I really care. <laughs> Not me. I want to tell you, we're back up those Bills just real quick, sidebar. When I played at uh, a venue that we played over the weekend on Friday night, uh, there were spontaneous Let's Go Buffalo chants breaking out on Friday night <laughs> in, like, the pretty, like, lounge-looking showroom area in Turning Stone. People were just chanting Let's Go Buffalo. So it's very real. People are ready for the Bills to be in the playoffs. So very excited about that. And, of course, uh, for both of us Yankee fans, the Garrett Cole mm-hmm. thing is real. Garrett Cole, baby. Very excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like I can say right now that the Yankees will win the World Series next year. I'm just going to call it right now. Just put it out there. We better win it. I'm not even jinxing it. I don't even feel worried about it. We just like to watch the, you know, we're, we're here to watch the games. We'll see what goes on. You know yeah. what I mean? We're, uh, I'm here. One of my favorites is all the trash takes about the people who pretend to care about, like, the 2028 season just so they can pretend that it's a bad move. Um, yeah, no, I've heard a couple of I'm those takes. I'm here for those. I'm here for yeah. those. Those are good. Those uh, are good. So, uh, before we go to this week's interview, I had a couple of things I wanted to hit. I found a really interesting article this week. Uh, it was on Vox, if you want to read about it. It's called In Memoriam. All the brands we lost in the 2010s. I'm just going to run through the list. These are some of the companies and brands that we've lost over the last decade. And I'll see if your heart's... That's a good point. A lot of end-of-decade stuff. Yeah. Right yeah. That's, yeah. Enough, that's enough content for the pod for the next two months. <laughs> uh, number one, American Apparel. Started in 2005. It is gone. I didn't it, know that. Yeah. I mean, American Apparel always felt like a ripoff from yeah. everything I ever knew about it. just seemed like really expensive t-shirts that you could buy other places for this less money. What happened is uh, they would use models with their nipples out on their website. Yes, that is correct. That's pretty much, that. that's the story there. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, what's Avenue? Is that a place? I've never heard of that. That's like an older, like an adult uh, store. Yeah, like it's a for, store. Like an adult, like 50s. Yeah, like it's a store It's a store for older ladies. Yeah, older yeah. Ladies, yep. Blockbuster Video. The last Blockbuster Video did close earlier this year. The last terrestrial Blockbuster Video. Congrats. I loved it. Blockbuster video as a kid. I, I, I too. I mean, go just going into a video rental store in general was like a cool yeah, yeah, experience. Yeah. That we didn't go to actual Blockbuster. I think very much It wasn't really our jam. Uh, we had oh, different God. places we went to, but like the notion of the video rental store used to be so crazy. It was one of those things where I don't know if back in the day you would have guessed that that would be gone. It's interesting no, when you look no back way. on like not ten years, but like twenty years ago. You definitely wouldn't have thought no. that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how stuff crops up and you just don't really see yep. it. What's the equivalent of going to Blockbuster and looking at all the movies? It's like scrolling through right. Netflix now. There is, and, no, there's a. I mean, there's no equivalent. It's that's gone. It's just gone. I say the, the closest. There's not an equivalent. Yeah. I say that's the closest true. thing I can think of is when we would go through like HBO, just look at all the movies that were available, and then not decide to watch. But them. it's also barely. That's also barely looking. That's scrolling hundred yeah. miles yeah. an hour, and then somebody's like, "Wait, I saw a tight Go back. No, all right. Guess we're not. And we're just flying. Um, and then it's like you get like nerved out. It's like well, I've been scrolling through for six minutes. I better hit play on something. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you find yourself watching Captain Marvel. Yeah. And was one. Uh, Columbia Records. Uh, remember that one? Columbia oh, Record yeah. House? Yeah, yeah Columbia House. That was the scam, the scam where they made the CDs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The most shocking thing about this is that it lasted until the 2010s, I feel like. I thought this was gone a long time ago. No, no, because a lot of people are still using CDs. Really? That's so wild. You forget to me. that even though we're starting to become the young old folks, you forget that the old folks are still out there. Mm-hmm. Speaking the, of which. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, because I mean, it's not even really specific on top of it. That was a big point of contention in Thanksgiving. I finally now got like three older family members who are now cutting cable. Oh, yeah. Whereas like, I mm-hmm. laughed. I'm like, dude, I haven't had cable in 10 years. And they're like, I think I'm going to get this thing. It's called a Roku. Do you know oh, what yeah, that is? Just I'm like, said yeah, but I know what a Roku they is. They just like, said that. that kind of thing. So those are the people who are still buying CDs. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, my uncle's still got 
a book full of CDs yeah. in his car. He's got an iPhone. He's got an aux cable, but he's got his book full of CDs in his truck because that's just what he knows. Uh, Payless Shoes, also gone this year. I love the Payless Shoes. Yo, not for nothing, if you are a waiter or a dude who just wanted to buy cheap cleats for something, Payless was the... You could get stuff at Payless. But then again, also, if you were a dude who was a waiter and got stuff at Payless, you understand that Payless means get less. That is very true. If you were low income and you wanted shoes kind of like other people's, but generic version. Mm. What was the best yeah. possible brand you could walk out of Payless with? Airwalks once in a while? Champion. No. You you would be better off getting some instead of getting something that's close, get something that's nowhere near it. Nowhere near. When I was yeah. when yeah, I yeah. was a kid, you'd rather be wearing some obscure absolute no name brand yeah. than like a knockoff. Yeah. Like you're going to get your balls broken hard for wearing Airwalk than you would for just wearing like Payless skate shoe brand. Yeah. You know I kind of I mean? feel like DSW showed up and stepped on Payless's block a little bit. You, they did, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's a still thing. Right, You can go to DSW DSW, now. Walmart, too. Walmart in yeah. a huge way because Walmart yeah. is where you go. If you want to pay $40 for a pair of shoes that are going to last for two and a half months, now you can go do that at Walmart. You know what I mean? Uh, another old person store, the Bonton. That is gone as of 2018. What is that? It's a grand store. It's a chapstick? It's like, bo- it's like a Boscov's. Bos- yeah, kind of a Boscov's. Like a Boscov's or Kohl's. And then last but not least, Borders. Borders gone oh, in 2010. Last, I, thought I thought there would be longer. more. I thought there would be more. Well, that was all that was on this Sears list. Sears clothes and stuff like that? I'm sure they... No, Sears still sort of... Like zombie uh, exists, I think. Toys R Us left. Toys R Us is back. Oh, from that's where they told. opened the store. One store or something like that. Uh, borders is an interesting one because I remember I living in... Place. When I first moved to New York, there was a huge Borders right next door to Madison Square Garden. And it was a big, giant, massive Borders. And then, really quickly, it was just gone. <laughs> just out of nowhere. Carousel Mall had one. When it was Carousel Mall. It was awesome. I remember I used to go there all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's been forever there. Is Barnes & Noble the last bastion of... Major bookstores? Major bookstores, yeah, mm-hmm. but you read a lot of articles. If you're somebody who reads articles about like books and nerd like that, a lot of articles about how uh, small independent bookstores are coming back. I, I mean, can see that. Making their way back, for mm-hmm. sure, yeah, yeah. I'm well, for that. People, much like people getting back into vinyl and stuff, people realize that like for as much as it's nice to be able to order, and I'm guilty, I order tons of books on Amazon because it'll cost like, for a used copy or something, you can get them for 50 yeah. cents. You know, I love like thrift store books, that kind of thing, but there is something... To be sad for going and browsing the shelves and being in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, being in the place and picking up the physical copy and holding it. You yeah. know what I mean? There's one in Lake Placid we go to every time we go to Lake Placid. And we always end up buying a book or something mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah. It's just that little nice... I hope they keep coming back because I would love to own my own used bookstore. Yeah. Like, that's one of the top level lives for me yeah. that I would be so happy with. But I'm aware that, like, when I sell books to, you know what yeah. I mean? When I sell books to... Who? And for at what price? <laughs> well, that's something. Yeah, $5 a book? Mm. Well, to get back on the Christmas pop-ups. To get back on the Christmas thing, you know, you and I had this debate. I bought a lot of books for mm-hmm. people this year for Christmas. And you told me, you're like, I don't like buying books for people because I feel like they're not going to read them. Well, it's 100%. To which, to which my argument is, I don't care if they don't read them. Yeah, true. <laughs> that's well, kind of my that argument. Also depends, like, that depends who it's for, though, too. Because I'll, and like, it's not, you know, certainly not heard about this and it's not airing out. Like, I got you a book for Christmas last year. It was one of the things I got you for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Been sitting in that spot since Christmas Day. Oh, I know. I know. Same spot. You know what I mean? And it's not the same thing. Like I've got, I got books. People got me for Christmas. Been sitting 
yeah. in a spot. You know yeah, what but, I mean? but I like having the book. Even if I haven't read it yet, doesn't mean that I'm not grateful That's, for yeah, the yeah. gift. You and know I mean? understand that as a reader, but sometimes I just I like to make sure that I'm not like forcing a book on oh. anybody. Be like, I'll, I'll use my brother for example. My brother's not really a big reader. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like to get him books. So I'm like, I know if you read this, you would enjoy this. Yeah. But like, so with somebody like you, you like to read. So at some point, I don't care if you read the book today. I don't care if you read it five years, ten years from now. You got the book, mm-hmm. right? Somebody like my brother, if I get him a book, I'm like, man, if you try to read this, you would really like it. But I know he's not ever going to. Sure. So it's just me arrogantly insisting on being a reader is better than not being a reader and giving him a book. So I think that's, that's about fair. sort of picking your audience. My you know general, I mean? my consensus has always been if I get my sister a book about like culinary stuff, even if it just goes in her bookshelf. That's nice, too. She'll eventually read it. Somewhere down the if line, I'm not a, really worried about that. If somebody's got like I mean, a specific trade or a hobby like that, you yeah. know what I mean? Like your sister loves to cook. She, I don't know if she is involved with food yeah, for yeah, a yeah, living, yeah. but yeah. like so that's her whole thing. So mm-hmm. that's something that you yeah. can. Yeah. That's cool when somebody's got something like that, you know. Would you be pleased with a book if you got a book as a gift, Heather? I got one from you. Were you pleased with it? <laughs> it's still sitting on my table, but it looks that's really nice. It's Michelle Obama, so it works out. Oh, great that's true. For I, my, like, I did get you the Michelle Obama book. It fits into my house beautifully. Heather, what do you want for Christmas? Yeah, what do you want for Christmas? I, I, I couldn't think of anything this year except boring things like you and my stepdad I wanted boring gr- things like what I want a griddle because That's I remember making pancakes for everybody on the last big, one my grandmother eat. got a griddle one year for Christmas and my grandmother's been dead for over 10 years now and so she must have got this like 20-25 years ago and at first she was very skeptical she was from the old country mm-hmm. she's like no I'm not messing with this after she dove in, that griddle changed her life. Oh, it's going to change my Every life. Every Sunday morning after church, she'd be at the house. Everybody come up. She's cooking bacon and eggs left and right all day. I make everyone's Griddle's eating, nice then move. there's me last. So, yeah, I want a griddle. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, good times, guys. Let's, uh, no, you know, before we go to this week's interview, I do have one quick thanks I hate it. It's been a while since mm. we brought this segment out. Oh. Uh, earlier this week, uh, this was released. Uh, you could buy Nike Air Max 97 quote-unquote, Jesus shoes. Mm. They cost $1,425 a pop. The bottom of the sneaker is filled with holy water, and it has been blessed by a priest. Wow. $1,400 for holy water-filled... Yeah, man, as somebody who's not even really that much of, like, a religion... Oh, they really are. They're kind of nice looking. Somebody who's, like, not even that much of a religion guy, uh, that's a little bit too blasphemous for my taste. (laughs) And I don't, even, I don't even know if holy water is really a thing, but that's that's a bit much for me. I don't need the holy water Air Maxes. This feels like it was made specifically for Kanye West. Yeah, like they're like, please, it, yeah. Kanye, buy these sneakers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm somehow I somehow wonder if he's involved in this. Kanye West slash Eric Tuttle, shout out. <laughs> so uh, so Nike for producing the Nike Air Max 97 Jesus shoes, quote unquote. Uh, I say thank you, but I hate it. Uh, all right, let's go to this week's interview. Uh, with my fellow Utica College graduate student, uh, Kelly Citron, who was nice enough to join us here today uh, for a broad conversation about education, about uh, the American education system, about politics, about going through our graduate studies. Really nice conversation, and about her uh, pursuing a job teaching English in Japan. So a lot of cool stuff. Uh, we'll be back to the interview in just a moment.
we are recording. So, welcome. It's nice to have you here on the podcast, Kyle. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask you a couple questions first, right off the bat. One, for the for the sake of disclosure, full disclosure, we are coming from our Utica College Christmas party, our staff work party. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> and I. I Forgot to write this down beforehand. What department are you in now? Because I always forget what department you work over there. Well, we've gone through a couple of uh, name change revisions. Oh, that's right. That's right. But <laughs> that's right. Initially, we were uh, student financial services, but we got combined with um, an academic recovery program. So we are now named Center for Student Success. The Center for Student Success. So we are technically co-workers for another three days before I'm let go yeah. <laughs> quickly from my job. Yes, we are. Uh, but it's a pleasure for you. I appreciate you coming, uh, taking some time after this work staff party. And I guess I should start with this, Kel. Uh, were you aware the podcast existed beforehand? I have to ask people when they come in. Did you? Yes, I was. <laughs> okay. Yes, I was. We also took a class together about uh, psychology for educators. That is correct. We did. And uh, we are going to talk about a lot of that as we get into the show this week. Wonderful. Um, which is actually why I wanted to bring you on because we both did our final presentations earlier this week, mm-hmm. uh, and we found out uh, over the course of doing the presentations that we were sort of in the same wheelhouse of what we were talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, before we get into that, there are a few things I want to get into with you. So Kelly, uh, of course, this is Kelly Citrin. You are a Utica College uh, graduate uh, graduate student. You are just mm-hmm. finishing. Is, are you done? After two weeks, hopefully, as long as nothing goes awry, I should be graduating. And you've already done your student teaching. I, uh, my program does not require student what? teaching because I'm not um, becoming New York State certified. I'm going overseas immediately. That is correct. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's where I wanted to start with you. Before we get into this week's, uh, this week's real interview proper and I start mm-hmm. asking you questions, I found this very fascinating. Uh, as a guy whose entire goal my whole life was to work in Utica and work in public education, I've been a, had a very narrow focus on what I wanted to do as an educator. Can you share with people what your, your current plan is? I think it's just so fascinating what you're doing out there. Well, um, when I was in my undergraduate program, which was International Studies and Chinese Education, mm-hmm. um, I spent about a year and a half in uh, Jinan, China, mm-hmm. and that excited that excited my um, pursuit of other places. You know, I I really became addicted to the experience of exploring and beginning to understand other cultures and other languages. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I want to continue by after my completion of my program at Utica College, I would like to uh, go to Japan. That's the idea. Wonderful. And you're doing a teaching program out there? So you go there and you teach English? or? Yeah. So um, right now I have a couple of job offers, but um, what I'm focusing on is higher education, English as a second language, and kind of like a cultural orientation program mm-hmm. um, that would help bridge cultural misunderstandings between the United States and Japan. Now, uh, as, and this is, I hope this doesn't come off as culturally, uh, culturally insensitive, I grew up as a huge, I, I, I have to tell you, I'm addicted to Godzilla movies. This was a huge like, cultural touch point for me as a kid. It's not a joke. I don't, I don't mean it as a thing. But like that was my first exposure to like Japanese culture, mm-hmm. was these like silly monster movies. So I'm sort of curious, like, what was it that sort of drew you to, like, Japan? Like, was there, was it, like, anime? Was it just, like, was there any, like, sort of thing that sort of drew you to Japanese culture initially? That's what's interesting for me. I think in opposition to how a lot of other people experience Japan firsthand um, from the kind of U.S.-centric perspective or how our media filters in Japanese culture, 
Um, I actually, my first ever experience, my first ever interest with Japan was when I visited mm. because I spent time in China. Um, but during that break from school, I also spent time in Japan and Malaysia, um, in Vietnam, in mm. Cambodia, in Laos. And I really fell in love with the uh, rigidity and seriousness with which Japanese people um, took their cultural life. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so, Kelly. We are going to talk a bit about education. We'll get into some of this as well, but let's start. Uh, let's start here at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, please feel free to correct me if my Facebook-centered uh, research <laughs> is incorrect. So, you are initially from Westmoreland, am I? I am from Westmoreland, New York. Westmoreland. And did you go? So then you went to White Sprite. I went to Westmoreland High School. Westmoreland High School. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. I always ask people. I went to Proctor High School growing up, which means uh, there was a certain. Let's call it a um, stereotype that was presented against Proctor kids. We we're all troublemakers. If you mm -hmm. invite us to our party, we're going to steal all your stuff. Did you feel like Westmoreland had any particular like stereotypes that were sort of projected on you guys? Yes, we did. Absolutely. I, I don't know. Was it like, like farming stuff? I don't even know. Like, rednecks. The, we is, were that, red, is that the general? We were rednecks. Yeah. Yes. Really? That, that was the idea. We, we were, were farm kids or, you know, it was an ignorant backward district. Really? Um, which I realized it had gotten a reputation in the past from that, but... Mm. At least in my experience, in my graduating year, um, almost like fifty percent of our um, class was involved in the musicals, in the musical productions. Okay, so you were a drama kid. Yeah, so oh. I was a drama kid. Most of my friends were drama kids, but also, <laughs> according to the statistics, most of my graduating class were drama kids. So, uh, and it's really interesting because I think what's funny to me is uh, living in New York for as long as I did. Take a shot, listeners. Um, <laughs> One of the things I found out was when I would tell people that I was from Utica, which is ostensibly a 60,000-plus person city, depending on where you went, people were like, oh, is it full of cows? I was like, you'll never see a cow in Utica. And I think it's just when you, any town that is larger than the one you're in assumes that you're in a farm town. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you like your time in Westmoreland? Did you? I think that the drama program in particular was a really formative experience for me. I had a fantastic uh, director, Mr. Baldwin. Uh, mm. He was absolutely incredible. He brought real drama and real theatrics. But I also know that he was not necessarily extensively well-liked all of sure, the time. Sure, of course. <laughs> uh, and he, be he came in conflict with the Westmoreland uh, administration. And I, I definitely found that Westmoreland had a very, very hard conservative bend, mm. which tended to ignite my uh, teenage rebellious, rebelliousness, I guess. You described yourself in class to us as a harmless hippie. So did you feel sort of at odds with the people around you growing up? Was that something that you were aware of in like high school, middle school? Yeah, it, yeah. it was interesting because I started reading about and being interested in political philosophy and mm. um, reading about American politics from an incredibly early age because mm. my family my family was really interested in like American history and uh, I personally was an Ann Coulter fan until I was nine. <laughs> wow. And then at 11, <laughs> I saw the lights. That's all right. I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan until I was eight. It's okay. It, we all make it's, mistakes. It's the right. follies of youth. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this then, because you, you sort of touched upon it. Were you an only child? Did you have family growing up? I had uh, two very much older siblings, mm. um, but I would say practically was an only child. You know, the relationship of somebody who's 10 to the relation, you know, to somebody who's 
22 or 23. Mm. Um, they were more like an aunt or an uncle. Are you the youngest? I am the youngest. Oh, so we're very much in the same boat. I grew up with two older sisters who were 10 and 11 years older than me, and I was mm. the youngest. Uh, although I will say that because of that, I feel like my relationship with my sisters has actually been great over the years because we never had time to be close and on top of each other and mm -hmm. get frustrated with each other that I feel like close age siblings sort of happens all the time. A lot more tension. Yeah. yeah. Did you, do you still have like close relationships with your siblings? I do. Yeah. yeah. Our, my family is very tight knit. Mm. Are they still in Westmoreland? Everybody's still <laughs> 10 minutes away from each other. Um, so let me ask you this. You're in Westmoreland. You're going to school there. You're doing the drama club thing. I, uh, I just want to touch upon that for just one second because mm -hmm. I also grew up, I was a big time, big time drama club person. I did drama club for many years. I did it through middle school and high school. And I've talked to many people in the community about this, whether it's, um, you know, Derek Clark over at the Broadway Theater League or uh, the folks over at the Stanley. I tend to think that drama club and performing for people helps you build a skill in terms of communication and talking to people and being comfortable that you don't really find in other places. I've seen you give presentations. I know what it's like to be up in front of somebody and not be worried about it. Do you think that that's had an effect on you in any positive way, sort of going forward? It's absolutely. It was, again, one of the most formative experiences yeah. of my life, not only because of the ability to conduct myself in front of other people, um, but also the ability to empathize. When you have to put yourself into the emotional situation of a character, when you have to think about that abstractly and then channel that through yourself um, in a way that makes sense to you, I think is... It's taking the experience of other people and finding the parts of that experience that relate to your life mm. and then expressing that. So it's an exercise in empathy, which is something that I think that we do not have in surplus at the moment. No, and I I tend to think of I tend to think of a lot of this as an algorithm. Like I think we are in like cycles now of like these really extreme reactions on, on both sides. Now I, I hope I hope that this isn't like a broken system now and that it's always going to be this way. Uh, but I do think it's true. Like I think a lot of it comes from people don't talk to each other anymore. We don't have conversations. Much of our discourse is done via, I mean, I hate to be like a tech hater, but it's all digital mm -hmm. discussion. No one knows how to have a communication or any communication with anybody or hold conversation without feeling stressed out or awkward or feeling like they can say what they want. Mm -hmm. I mean, regardless, uh, let's move on for a second because I want to get to Nazareth. Okay. Uh, the Golden Flyers. You're a Golden Flyer. Yes, I am. So you went to Nazareth for, you said international studies? International studies and Chinese language. I was a double major. At this time, did you know that education was in the future or did you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. not. Really interesting. Interesting. I thought at this point in my life that I was going to work for the UN. Really? That was my goal. I wanted <laughs> wow. to work for the UN. So wow, you really were deep into politics early on, mm -hmm. huh? Was there any, I always, I, I say this to a lot of people, I think for a lot of generation of, our, our generation a little bit younger, I think Obama was a big touch point political figure for a lot of people, but you're saying even farther back. So like, was, who was the politician or politician that sort of opened your eyes up to politics or was there one? Hubert Humphrey. Hubert Humphrey. Wow. Yes. Hubert, deep. Hubert, deep. Hubert Humphrey <laughs> uh, was my inspiration. Oh man. Uh, I think that he, he said something. I, I listened to a speech once of his when I was very young that was, um, I think it was entitled something like, we must, we must step forward from the uh, darkness of states' rights into the bright sunshine of human rights. Mm. And he was one of the people that I thought most practically demonstrated and articulated um, a kind of progressivism that is related to individual people's struggles 
and things that everybody can relate to. Uh, so I thought that he was a very populist, um, you know, left-wing fi figure that did his absolute best to make his mm. campaigns and his policies relevant to everyday average people. Mm. That was great. That's beautiful. I love it. I, I, it's funny, too, because I, I weirdly like the first politics. Yeah, I'm a registered Democrat, mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I've been voting. I always say that I would vote for someone else if they had platforms that I agreed with. But generally, over the years, I've noticed that most of the people who have platforms I agree with are Democrats, right? So I, it's kind of a weird thing. It's like, I'll vote for anybody who does what I agree with. But, I mean, I've found over the years where the agreements lie. Right. Uh, do you feel, do you feel like there's a problem at all with the way we, we have to label ourselves now? Do you feel like the words like Democrat and Republican are sort of loaded now as a Democrat? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally would not consider myself a Democrat. Mm. I'm not registered as a Democrat. Mm. I tend to think that Democrats are a little bit too accommodating. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. To the agendas of the right. Yes, that's a fair point. I think that's actually something, you know, Kevin and I have talked about in the podcast before. It's sort of the reason that if you look at this uh, Democratic uh, candidates right now, the, like the four main people, no one really is drawing strong support because you have, you basically have old centrist, young centrist, old quote-unquote socialist, younger quote-unquote socialist. And there's no one who's captivating everybody. And I think that's the scary part for, for let's call ourselves progressives for the sake of for, for going the Democrat word. Mm -hmm. That divide is going to be the thing that holds us back going forward, is the inability to decide how progressive we want to be as a unified party. It's difficult because the right continues to move the center. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they say something inflammatory. There was a response that attempts to be reasonable, but it just inches everything slightly towards the right. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at the political left in the United States, they would be a central even the furthest left, would be a yeah. centrist mm -hmm. position in most other developed countries. Mm -hmm. And it, it's unfortunate because, in my opinion, the right is much better at politics than the left Oh, is. my God. It's, ins <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> and, it, and it's unfortunate because, you know, what we have as in, in leftist positions, in positions of those who support labor... Um, is a populist position, oh, yeah. but we've just lost reins of media control and, you know, just general dissemination of information. If you go back to 2016, I think the biggest thing that the Democrats screwed up with, there's a lot of things Democrats screwed up, the biggest thing they screwed up is not seeing the forest for the trees and realizing that we had a populist election on our hands. Mm -hmm. The fact that Trump got through in that election should have been the sign this is what we're voting on now, guys. It should have been Sanders in 2016. I, I mean, that's just my opinion. I know people will, you know, people might argue with me on Twitter about it or whatever, but they were they were they were slow realizing that people did not want another political dynasty. I mean, like that was, seemed to be the argument. I actually didn't hate Hillary Clinton. I thought I liked Hillary just fine. Like I know that that's an unpopular opinion as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it is scary right now. I it's the first time in my adult life that I look at the world we live in and the elections that are coming up and I have no idea how to read it. I have no clue. I have no strong feelings. I have no idea whether to be excited or concerned or, or anything. Bah! Do you think because you're traumatized by the polls of 2016 that assured us all that uh, there was going to be a Democratic victor? I think that's part of it. 
I think that is part of it. But I also... I also feel like... I don't want to say there's a double standard, but it does feel like the Democrats and the Democratic candidates are playing on a different playing field. The stuff that you could... The stuff that these guys get, like, raked over the coals for, Trump would never get pulled. He wouldn't even think about it for 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. He would just blow right off him, and he would move past it. And that... It feels like... Feels like the Democrats have to try twice as hard to get the same results, and I don't know if that is a winning strategy. Uh, let's move away from politics for just one second, though. Okay. Uh, so, well, we can get we'll get back into it. I'm sure. I think <laughs> as the course goes on. Uh, so you're doing the Nazareth thing. You're there for uh, international studies. Uh, when did education as a concept sort of pop up for you? Is there any, was there a moment where you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe there's an avenue for me in teaching. I was doing um, tutoring work with the Mohawk Valley Resource Center for Refugees. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good friends of the show. Fantastic organization. <laughs> um, have taken a lot of hits, unfortunately, oh, since, yeah. since mm-hmm. the Trump administration. Yes. I think it was three weeks or four weeks after his inauguration yeah. that they were ma- they were forced to make cuts. Um, almost like, I think, a fourth of their staff oh, yeah. or something like that had to be let go. It, it, it was something absolutely ridiculous for how much work that they do. I believe when we had uh, my friend Selma, mm-hmm. who was on from uh, sort of, uh, MBRCR a while back, I do not believe she's there anymore, and I think that's part of the reasons for it. I know that that's, so you can yeah. go back and listen to that episode if you want, folks. <laughs> but yeah, have you, did you enjoy your time there? I love my it's time there, yeah. and I felt like the direct interaction I had with people of all ages, kids and adults who were both trying to learn English, um, that really inspired my fire towards teaching as a possible uh, career opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the education stuff. We just finished mm-hmm. our, uh, we're just finishing up our grad studies program here. Final papers due in two days? <laughs> well, my, my, my papers are done, now, to be fair. All Thank I have you. to do tomorrow is send in all my stuff. But um, did you... Do you, let me ask you this question, and we don't, this doesn't need to be an indictment of Utica College anyway, one or the other. I've, right. I've, lo- I've loved my time at Utica College. Do you feel prepared to teach in the modern world today, based on what we know about what we've learned in our education? Well, I wasn't made to do student teaching, so mm-hmm. I feel like a big chunk of preparedness probably is taken out of the program. Sure. Um, but that's also difficult because <laughs> I've always been a full-time worker. So I've always been working 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been supporting a dependent. And it's really difficult to take a full-time job's worth of time out of your life to student teach. Mm. And um, yes, it is for, for me, that was never really a possibility. So I wish that we could have had some more practical, hands-on experience that wasn't tied necessarily to the student teaching. Yeah, I think a lot of it, uh, I've talked to a lot of graduate students over the years in many programs, not just this one. It feels like a very, teaching programs in general feel very repetitious. You mm-hmm. talk about the same kind of concepts over and over again. You focus on literacy and concepts of you know, student psychology and how we can deal with the fundamental problems that exist in the school system. And I wish sometimes it was more just like, here's how you make a lesson plan. Mm-hmm. Here's how you concoct. I've, like... written, I've <laughs> written one lesson plan in my 30-credit uh, experience at Utica College. Did it give you heartburn? One just... lesson plan. And it was in, I think, my introduction to teaching course. Mm-hmm. So I haven't experienced a higher level mm-hmm. um, you know, critique of my lesson plans in my entire time mm-hmm. in the program. Yeah, and these are the kind of things that I think a lot of people who go through these programs get concerned about. Like, do... 
I've just gone through multiple certification tests and multiple levels of... I, I'm in a classroom now with kids all the time. I work with kids every day. I still wonder. I'm like, I don't know if I'm really prepared. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it comes to the idea that I don't know what we should be preparing our kids for in the future. It's like mm-hmm. the big scary thought I have about the world is, do we know what we want our kids to be doing in 10 years? Right, yeah. What, um, what, do you, what do you think, what's your biggest hope to accomplish when you go to Japan, do you think? I think my biggest hope is to increase um, cultural literacy between the two places. So in the role that I am looking to fulfill, um, I would be an, uh, an international exchange officer who also does ESL work. Um, so the idea is to take students from our university to send them to universities in the United States and then to, you know, kind of be able to prepare the students that we have for that experience and take students from the U.S. and expose them to Japanese culture, um, which is an interesting, uh, (laughs) it's an interesting goal when I'm not familiar yet with Japanese culture. So that's something that I have to charge myself with learning and understanding in, in my time there. Do you feel comfortable with the language? Are you, are you fluent, would you say? I have not even an introductory course in the language. <laughs> I am uh, conversationally fluent mm-hmm. in Chinese, mm-hmm. which has helped with um, some of the writing. Some I'm able to intuit some meaning from Japanese sentences, mm-hmm. but I have a very, very baseline introduction to the grammar of the language. And I just want to ask, I'm so curious, have you ever, did you ever think about teaching in New York or United States, or is that something you interested in any particular way? From the time that I was 11 years old, I did not expect myself to be in the United States past the age of 20. So it's really more about just you didn't want to be in the U.S. I am not interested in continuing to participate in the culture of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just wonder, because like, at a young age, I, I mean, like, you, you're saying you got into politics at a young age. Like, yes, I, I did. I definitely had wanderlust at a young age. Like, I wanted to mm-hmm. see other places, and as I get older... I wouldn't say that that's gone necessarily, but... Uh, it's dulled a little bit. Now I just want to, like, build something before I go do that. I want to, like, yeah. have a house <laughs> and, like, uh, some money in the bank before I'm, like, spending three weeks in Costa Rica for fun, right? Like, that's something... Mm-hmm. That's some, But I I just, like, you know, uh, I just think, like, was, I look at somebody like you, and I watch the presentation you did, and you seem to understand about the problems that we face in education, whether it's you know, funding or how much we're actually converting back into our schools. Uh, And it feels to me, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way because I think what you're doing is amazing. I think we're missing out on a teacher who could really speak to a lot of kids here and give them a good perspective. Because a lot of teachers I walk into, again, much like what we talked about, there's no rhyme or reason about whether they're left or right or said. It's all over the place. So Mm -hmm. I do think you have interesting perspectives that would be interesting to kids in New York. So that's just my thoughts. Well, I... I am not necessarily uh, against the idea of ever teaching in the United States, Uh, (laughs) but I personally would always prefer to contribute my talents and my labor and my time and energy to a country and a culture that I feel like has an understanding of communal living and of community. What do you think is the biggest sort of uh, concern we face with public education these days? As you may have been uh, aware of through my presentation, <laughs> yeah. I think that it is funding. Mm, interesting. Now, you know, you, te- you tend to know a little bit more about this than I do, but you were sort of discussing, uh, 
you think we should be using some of our military funding, basically, to supplant the funding we give to our schools? I feel like we should be reallocating funding mm-hmm. that is no longer necessary uh, in our big, grandiose military structure to funnel back into social services and things which reinvest in the next generation. So I don't necessarily believe that maintaining um, 800 military bases around the globe would be as effective in raising the standard of living of the average American as providing a soup-to-nuts education. This is where the conversational stuff that we were talking about earlier comes into play, because I'm, I'm sure that based on the opinions you have about this, and I've seen your presentations, and I love the work you've done, I'm sure you get blowback from people about this, right? Absolutely. Because the general idea is there's no nuance in this conversation. If you say to people in general, oh, I want to take military funding and spend it on schools, there's going to be people who are going to be mad about that. Until you take a look at the amount of funding we actually spend now. Mm-hmm. If you took 4% of the military budget, that would still leave, I believe, 50% of our budget going there. Yep. So it's not really a question of like we need to gut our entire military to fund education. It would not be very much in terms of what percentage we'd actually be taking. That's, that's right. So the problem is the United States military budget takes up 54%, 54% of all of our discretionary spending. And that is the base military budget that does not necessarily include intelligence efforts, which are incredibly expensive, um, and other specific programs by the executive that um, can have funds reallocated, only the base budget of the United States military takes up 54% of all of our discretionary spending, uh, which means that every other part of the United States government, including infrastructure, education, healthcare, Medicaid, all social programs, have to fight for that remaining slice of the pie which is just overwhelmed by uh, our obsession with maintaining military control over the rest of the world. Yeah, and I think that goes back to a very baseline American, quote, I'm doing air quotes, folks. <laughs> baseline American ideal that what, what has made America this amazing country, this great country, is military strength. The fact mm-hmm. that we are the strongest, most powerful nation and that is equating the idea that strength and power and warfare um, equal, like, uh, glory or greatness and somehow. It's, then these are not mutually exclusive, <laughs> necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, we, you know, I, I look at it, too, and I see all that money that's spent on, on military funding. And I look, you know, I work in a public school now. I work in a program that deals primarily with low-income, high-diversity kids who, who start from such a place that it is, it's unfair for them. It's unfair for us to expect them to end up at the same place as kids who have. And that seems to be the biggest issue I've noticed, is not that, you know, it, you go back to 1965. And in 1965, the income achievement gap, the gap of achievement between those who make the, 10%, the highest 10% of our income and the lowest 90%, surpassed the black-white achievement gap. So to me, if you go back to 1965, you're really looking at the full disconnect when we went to, it's not about what your, your race is, your religion, your sexuality. These are all things as well. But the real big struggle that's stopping us is haves and have-nots. And that's the real disconnect. And it feels like the have-nots uh, is a pool that's growing larger and larger all the time. Absolutely. And and also to you know remind people that the how stratified the economic situation is also affects situations like um, the black-white situation. Mm. 
because you know if you think about I believe it was uh, Greenberg yeah Oklahoma mm-hmm. I, I think it was Oklahoma that uh, they used to call it Black Wall Street it was a small town um, you know few city blocks oh, that, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. that encompassed talking. like I think it was something like 60% of all of black wealth in, in the United States was burned down by racists yes. and and so you can see how at every at every point when the black community has tried to amass wealth it's been intentionally struck down by a white minority mm-hmm. they have used economics as a lever to oppress black americans uh if you folks are curious about this the history of black wall street this has gotten a lot of press over the last few months i want to say that the there was a television show that talked about this i want to say watch Watchmen? The Watchmen show? I don't know. Some television show brought this up in a converse, in the course of an episode, and it's gotten a lot of press lately. So if you're curious about this, I've seen a lot of articles in the last two weeks about uh, the history of Black Wall Street, so look that up if you're curious about more info of that. But yeah, I, the other one I talked about a few months ago on the podcast was the first official coup that happened in the United States, which mm-hmm. we don't teach in history classes <laughs> anymore. But there's a lot of this stuff that we don't talk about in our history because it's not the prettiest picture of America or the America that we'd like to present to the world outside of us. Mm-hmm. God, people are going to think we're communists now. You know that, right? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, it's funny, too. Like, I, um, it's funny. When I was living in New York, the joke was always, like, it didn't matter how you voted because even if everyone was going to vote Democrat in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other disconnect, too, that we'll get to, you know, whether it's education or whether it's politics. Sometimes you feel like you're your voice isn't going to matter anyway. It feels like what you're going to do, what you're going to say, isn't going to affect people. Is that a concern for you that, like, some of the times, like, we're just screaming out here in the void when we talk about these problems? It's, it's a concern, but it's also intentional. Yeah. It, there's a reason why many would benefit from many more people staying quiet, mm-hmm. from people minding their own business and not paying attention to the suffering of their neighbors. Um, You know, there is a lot of danger for the elites in a working class solidarity. Yes. And so it has been discouraged. It's been discouraged through media. It's been discouraged through official political rhetoric. um, And it's been punished in many points of American history. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at now, like, the way that all these, you know, the heads of businesses and the heads of these companies look at, like, someone like Elizabeth Warren, like, it's the end of times coming if she gets election. And that's all you really need to know about how these people feel about, yeah, sure, they care about politics and people to a point, Mm -hmm. to the point is it doesn't take money out of their pockets. Mm -hmm. And that's even the concern I see with a lot of, like, older centrists who don't want to have to spend any money to make things better. And I... I don't know. I, I tend to be on the side that taxes are a good thing because taxes are how we pay for things. I don't know. That's just me. Uh, all right. So it is... We've had you on here about 31 minutes. I don't want to uh, make you stay here all night. So uh, I want to do some lightning round questions with you. All right. Uh, before we do, if people want to uh, find, uh, get a hold of you or want to reach out to you, are you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kind of things? Oh, geez. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. I have a writing page that's just my name, K-E-L-L-E-Y-C-I-T-R-I-N, Kelly Citrin. Mm. So if you'd like to follow me for, I'm writing a novel that's ah. going to be fun. I write poetry all the time, so oh, check me out on there. Oh, we're going to get to that there. in a second. I have that written down. I'm curious, <laughs> I though. I, I tried to write a novel. I got about 3,300 words in. And 
then I just kind of hit a brick wall, and then I moved back to Utica, and I never picked it up. What do you, what's your novel about? Is it a fiction novel? Uh, so, yeah, the novel is fictional. It's um, about, and I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong. Sure. But uh, it's about Irgot, or Irgo poisoning, mm. um, which is a kind of a wheat-based mold that can grow on bread that can cause yes. uh, psychological disturbances and hallucinations. So my novel is about, it's kind of like a, um, I, I guess, a metaphor for corporate cost-cutting, mm. where a small Midwestern town is beset by irgot poisoning from the cost-cutting uh, practices of a corporation. Huh. Uh, and so it explores things like homelessness and poverty and mental health um, in the United States. And I'm working on it. Nice. So. <laughs> uh, do yourself a favor and don't take any extended breaks because that's what I did. I took an extended break because I hit a wall. And then now I feel like if I go back to it, I have to rewrite the whole thing. I have to it's start true. over again. It's true. Uh, so let's do some lightning round questions here right. for you. Um, Kelly, these are the same five or six lightning round questions we ask everybody who's mm -hmm. been on the show. Uh, Coffee. Uh, Kelly, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? How do I take my coffee? I do it in a French press, which mm -hmm. I feel like is the only civilized way to make coffee. Very fancy. It is very fancy. It's coffee tea, which I it's true. Which I appreciate because if I get too much coffee, I turn into a meth head. I see. <laughs> you're pretty jittery over here. I can tell you're getting all you're shaking around like a maniac. I'm really excited. <laughs> very excited to be on the podcast. Uh. So, you take it black, yes? I do take it black, Did you yes. always take your coffee black, or did you have to wean your way into that over the years? I always took my coffee black. Right. I See, always I, took my coffee I go out up and down, so I try and wean myself off, and then I go back. Uh, what it's, was your... It's the, it's the same reason why I like uh, IPAs. Oh, see, that's... <laughs> because I take my coffee black. The first real disagreement we've had here, I, I can't stand. I'm like the anti-IPA mm. guy. Give me a, a stout, or a, uh, or a porter, a heavy beer... I can only drink one of, and then I'm done with it. I don't like my beer with milk. <laughs> I don't like milk in general. Uh, all right. Uh, what was your first automobile? My first automobile was a Cavalier. Ooh, a, a Chevy, Chevy Cavalier. Cavalier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two-door. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I totaled it in high school. Your fault or their fault? The deer's fault. Uh, the deer's fault. That'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, so you may or may not have taken your uh, 90 whatever Cleveland Cavalier, Cleveland Cavalier, Chevy Cavalier <laughs> to see it. What was your first live music event? Alison Krauss and Alison Union Krauss. Station. God, you kind of already up here, aren't you? A yeah. little bit, yeah. <laughs> it, it was. It's bluegrass music, but it's good. My uh, my stepdad tries to tell me that the Alison Krauss Robert Plant albums are the greatest thing that's ever existed <laughs> that I should go listen to them. They win all the Grammys and I'm just like, I, I don't know. Alison Krauss and Union Station is pretty good. Do you okay? So you like bluegrass? Then do you like country music at all? You grew up in Westmoreland. I'm sure some of that rubs off. <laughs> sure when I was a young, silly lass, I liked country music. Do you have any country music person you can admit to saying you enjoy? I got a few I can admit. I'm not. I'm not a like everybody who doesn't like country music. I say Johnny Cash. John Cash. I'm a big Nelson guy. I like Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson's fantastic. I like I like any of the outlaw country guys. Those Merle Haggards. Merle those kind of gruff. Yeah. <laughs> the Highwaymen. That was what my grandpa liked as well. Uh, all right. Um, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be? Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, Kurt Vonnegut. Right off the bat. I love it. Didn't even have to wait for it. Absolutely uh, not. Why Vonnegut? 
I think he's the greatest American writer. Hmm. I love everything he did. Um, I I think that for being a writer, um, um, a white male writer from the 50s, hmm. he had so much right about where the country was going. He had such a, a fine understanding of the hypocrisy of the way that the economics have been structured. Um, that I think he is the closest thing that we would have to a prophet. Have you um, you read any Aldous Huxley? Yeah, yeah, I've read Brave New World. Mm-hmm. You read any other stuff? No, just Brave New World. I don't know. I have to give you something after we leave. Okay, good. Uh, all right, so uh, very good. Uh, give me one book, album, movie, or television show that you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. I am currently listening to Eat the Elephant by Tool. <sighs> That's Tool. I love yes, it. Wow, I love cool. I love Tool and uh, yeah, a couple of really good tracks about religion on the album mm. and uh, he stays pretty relevant. I think. You know, uh, Tool is one of those things. Uh, growing up, I played in bands for years, so when I look at like, you know, Tool, Perfect Circle, anything that Maynard kind of oh, well, maybe it was Perfect Circle, maybe it was Eat the Elephant by a Perfect Circle. It was something. J- it was uh, it was Maynard, Maynard James yeah. Keenan was uh, involved in one of those things that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I don't like it because there's definitely Tool and Perfect Circle songs I like. Uh-huh. I didn't go out of my way to listen to it, but it's one of those things that like I remember listening to as a musician and being like, "Oh yeah, this guy, this guy's got it." I don't, I don't need to listen to it. I know this guy's got it. He's, he's all right. Mm-hmm. Like that with Trent Reznor too. Like I respect the hell out of Trent Reznor. I don't know if he's Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I respect him. I, I, I don't need to listen to it all the time. I'm not that sad. Uh, all right, and give me. Uh, <laughs> so besides uh, education, besides. Uh, Wanderlust, besides um, besides being a bit of a hippie, uh, give me one more thing before we leave, Kelly, that you are passionate about. Golf. What? Really? Golf. Oh, it's man. it's I would the never most it's the that. most boomer activity. <laughs> it is very um, boomery of you. I'm kind of thrown off. It's really unfortunate. <laughs> Takes up a lot of public land. You know that, right? It does. <laughs> It does. I would be okay with a screen. I would be okay with hitting a golf ball into into your a golf dome or something. Into yeah. a golf dome if I absolutely had to. Um, but I like it because uh, when I was younger, I used to say that a golf course was my cathedral. That's fair. I like the wide openness, and I like the uh, individual pursuit of perfection. I have to tell you, I, I would not have pegged you as a sports person. No. No, not at all. I mean, not that you don't like, you wouldn't like sports. I can't, I just wouldn't expect you to be a golfer. You have like, you have like fancy tights on right now. I can't imagine that like, that's like. <laughs> have you never seen golfers with ridiculous clothes? Not these kind of ridiculous clothes. I mean, uh, I, the closest I've ever come to being interested in golf is I do like to go to the driving range once mm-hmm. in a while because that seems to be the part of my golf game that has historically been terrible. I cannot drive to save my life. I'm sort of weirdly naturally good at chipping for some reason. Like, I just have a weird sense for it. And then putting is putting. I mean, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes it's a mess. Do you have a favorite golfer? Ooh, um, Lorena Ochoa. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I liked her. She went on, um, I think, the PGA Tour. Mm. And uh, I think she finished top ten in a couple of big tournaments, Mm. which is always fun. Also, um, she was always kind of a populist because of her uh, Mexican heritage. Mm. So she always used to throw like barbecues for the workers nice. and things like that, which is always something that I appreciate. That makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with Tommy Fleetwood? 
Not really. That's my guy. That's my <laughs> golfer. I just like him because he's the only golfer I know. He's like a British dude with unreasonably long hair. He kind of looks like a dirtbag, and I respect it. I'm like, yes. He's there like the go. happy Gilmore of England. All right. Um, Kelly, this was fun. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us here tonight. Okay. I wish you... and. I know we don't have a, a set date for when you're leaving for Japan, but you guys are close to your goal. Until I save $10,000, so if any <laughs> listeners would like to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, please. We have Find a, me on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, we'll try and get a GoFundMe started for you. Uh, Kelly, congratulations on getting through the Graduate Studies program. Thank you very uh, much. You did great work. I'm very proud of you. And uh, best of luck going forward. Uh, folks, we'll back to the show in just a minute. Once again, to uh, Kelly Citrin, and best of luck on for her and her husband on their trip to Japan coming up. Um, Shout out to Japan. So it's really funny. During the interview, we talked a bit about you know why she chose Japan and why she wanted to go there, and she talked about her sort of connection about wanting to live outside of the United States. And I, I guess my question for you guys is, if you could live in another country outside of the United States, where would you be interested in living? Have you ever thought about this? I think I'm more, inter- more mm-hmm. interested in checking things out. Checking things out as opposed to living, living in another country. But, like, I always want to go to Iceland. Iceland. Things, um, so there's things like that. Interesting. Kev, what about you? Um, I You see, you can give a couple different answers because, like, it's really easy to just pick ones, like, that are kind of like America. Like, sure. Like, you talk about Canada, England, England and yeah. Ireland and that kind of stuff. Um, as far as completely outside the pale, I always thought it would be cool. Those Nordic countries do seem really cool. Um, it seems like it would be sick to live in Germany. Germany seems pretty mm-hmm. tight. I could see living in France. That would be cool. Oh, yeah. France a lot is of the, the like, Southeast Asia, although if I'm being like fully honest with myself, as much as it seems like it would be cool to live in like Thailand or something like that, it might just be too hot for me all the time. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Latin just, American Seems like I stuff. might get sick of that after mm-hmm. a little while. I think know? about that because I love Costa Rica, Nicaragua, all Latin America, yeah, all yeah, very yeah, warm, sure. equator-style countries. Uh, I, I like my I like my change. I like my ups and downs, my seasons. You know what I mean. That's pretty I like good. Winter. Ireland would be excellent, just for like personal. Yeah. Or Sweden or because they have a lot of good skiing there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I noticed none of you guys mentioned this, but I read an article this week in uh, Wall Street Journal, and I can't load the whole article because Wall Street Journal has all those terrible like paywalls you have to go Did through. You open an uh, incognito tab. I could theoretically. I would say normally stuff with a paywall. A little <coughs> shout out to the listeners. Um, if you find something behind a paywall, if you open it in an incognito browsing tab or like yeah. private browsing tab, normally that'll go past the paywall. Well then, because those tabs don't count your cookies, so they don't see you've been to the site before. Hmm. So then you there is no free article count. Good to know. And it's not an answer. It's not, it won't work all the time. It won't work for everything, but hmm. quite often it it does work for a lot of stuff. Hmm. Well, that was that was great. That was a great side note, by the way. It's yeah, good to know. Yeah. Uh, so the point was, the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, has an article this week about uh, Leonardo Siaccio. He is the mayor of Sambuca, which is a town in Italy. He put 16 houses up for auction uh, at the starting price of one euro earlier this year uh, to sort of halt the depopulation of this sort of town that had uh, dried up. Mm-hmm. Within weeks, he got more than 100,000 people requesting information, and they were mostly from the United States. Well, there was that little island in Ireland that did the same thing. Yeah. They were basically paying for you to move there. 
Well, because that's the big barrier, right? Like, a lot of people would move around and try a lot of different things, especially as people of our generation are having kids last and do a lot of stuff like that last, but they've got a little more freedom to move about. People are able to work remotely as long as they've got a laptop Mm -hmm. connection. It's an appealing thing for people, but it's pretty daunting to be like, oh, I want to buy this house in Italy. Like, that's... But if somebody makes it easy for you, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who will take yeah. you up on that. Well, the general argument here is you buy it for a euro, but you have to commit to renovating these houses. They're not in phenomenal shape, sure. obviously. For sure. I feel like the romantic idea of that is very appealing. Like, oh, yeah, just, like, move to the mm-hmm. Isle of Sicily and just work on this house and keep doing your thing. But even if you buy a house for a euro, the amount of money you'd have to put into it to fix it is... You still have to have a decent amount of money, I think. Or, or mm-hmm. make money or making money mm-hmm. or yeah. know how to do your own work mm-hmm. mm, you know what i mean like yeah. i have dude, my cousin and his wife just bought this house in camden uh for dirt cheap mm. like way cheaper than for what it is because it's a big beautiful victorian like just gorgeous house out in camden this big mm-hmm. old house and it definitely needs work from what i heard i haven't been in it yet but like you know i've heard that it needs a lot of work but they got a great price on it and you know, my cousin and his brothers uh, can do all that work. He can do his own work. Mm-hmm. So if he needs to completely renovate the kitchen and change out the floors, change all the cabinets, he can just do that. Mm. Sure, he's still got to come up with the money, but he's not paying labor, which is what a lot of your money goes mm-hmm. to when you're doing projects like that. So, you know, if you have the wherewithal to do it, you can pay that money to go out to Italy mm. and not spend on the labor. Eh, not a bad look. Did you hear about that house? It's like this old 10-bedroom house. It's not far from here that... They have up for like fifty thousand dollars. It's like a Victorian house. Hmm. Which one? I don't know. I didn't More know. Of those than I have you to think. look at. But it was just making headlines locally. Just mm-hmm. recently, it was on WPTV and stuff. I know. Uh, well, speaking of headlines, uh, headline is it's time for history lessons. Oh, There's great. your headline. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're all from the nineteen. They're all from the nineteen seventies up. So they're all relatively nice. uh, new. On this day, nineteen seventy one. Diamonds Are Forever, the seventh James Bond film and the last one starring Sean Connery is released. Uh, so what happened was Sean Connery released his last James Bond movie, which is a movie called You Only Live Twice. And then he said, no more, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. So they brought in a guy for one James Bond movie named George Lazenby. You ever heard of George mm-hmm. Lazenby? Of course you haven't because he's the worst Bond. He's in one movie, a movie called uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. After he does the movie, his agents tell him that he should stop doing James Bond movies. This was a bad career decision, and he's out. So now, for the next movie, Diamonds Are Forever, they have to cast a new James Bond. Uh, I thought it was interesting, two of the actors who were really close were American actors Adam West and Burt Reynolds, both of whom said that they refused to do it because they didn't think James Bond should be played by an American actor. You guys have any thoughts about American James Bond? Yeah, Feels- I'm not into it. I mean, we already have American James Bond. It's Jason Bourne, right? Isn't Jason Bourne the American, like, James no, Bond? No, because he's a whole different, he had a whole different thing going on. He's like a sleeper cell, right, or yeah, something? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, Is there an American, like, spy franchise of any yeah, merit like that I can think of? Mission, Mission Impossible, I guess, Probably maybe. Mission Impossible would be the yeah. closest thing to that, yeah. I could see, I guess I couldn't see Tom Cruise as James Bond. He's a I, little too, No, uh, no way. <laughs> no, it's wait. a little too pretty, right? I hold James Bond movies in absolutely no reverence whatsoever, and even me, that's that's too that's a bridge too far. Uh, United Artists, who was the the company that made the movie, was pretty much unhappy with all the options, so they said, "Get Connery back, give him whatever he wants. Money is no object." They paid him one point two five million pounds, and they also let him choose his next two projects that he can work on at whatever he wants to do. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever is considered to be one of the most forgettable movies of the James Bond franchise. The thing I only remember about this movie is the song, Diamonds Are Forever, which, sure, is, sure. which is a killer. 
there is a new James Bond movie coming out. I saw the trailer for it last week. It's called No Time to Die that. or something along those lines. Mm. I mean, it, that's kind of what all the James Bond movies are titled, I feel like. Uh, so you said you have no reverence for James Bond at all. You're not interested in any of these movies? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I was exposed to them a bunch when I was a kid. I like Sean Connery a lot. Mm-hmm. My mom was a big Sean Connery fan. Um, I understand the place in the culture as, like, you know, some of these, like, you know, like Jaws and GoldenEye and Bond and the whole sure. thing, but like, I don't actually care about James Bond movies. Sure. I will, for the rest of my life, uh, I'll never go out of my way to watch a James Bond movie, mm-hmm. and I've got no interest in really watching one ever. Mm-hmm. Somebody put one on, it wouldn't be like, I'm leaving the room, this is ridiculous, <laughs> but, like, I don't care about James Bond at all, no. One of these days, I'm going to put Skyfall on. Oh, I know you are. I, yeah, I one know. of these days. I know it's, it's coming. A, it's a great movie. I'm trying to be homeless. Uh, <laughs> no, you'll like it. I think you will. I'm trying to be uh, homeless. <laughs> uh, on this day, 1985, uh, the Teflon Don, John Gotti, assumes leadership of New York's Gambino crime family after ordering the executions of Paul Castellano and Thomas Bellotti. Uh, early in his criminal career and following the FBI's indictment of members of his crew for selling narcotics, Gotti began to fear that he and his brother would be killed by Gambino uh, crime boss Paul Castellano. As this fear grew and amid dissent among the leadership, he organized the murder himself uh, and took over the reins of the family shortly thereafter. Uh, Gotti was uh, the boss of what is described as America's most powerful crime syndicate. Uh, he made hundreds of millions of dollars from racketeering, hijacking, loan sharking, uh, drug trafficking, bookmaking, prostitution. The list goes on and on. At his peak, Gotti was one of the most powerful and dangerous crime bosses in the United States. His outspoken style and flamboyant personality gained him favor with some of the general public, and he became uh, became known as the Dapper Don. Um, He's also known as the Teflon Don because for many years all the the crimes that were thrown against him could not stick. Uh, Do you guys remember the name of the person who ended up uh, turning on Gotti and ratting him out to the FBI? You know, looking right at me. No, I don't. You don't know? Sammy the Bull Gravano. That is correct. Sammy the Bull Gravano. He turned state's evidence uh, and testified after hearing the boss make disparaging remarks about him on a wiretap. Be careful what you say on those wiretaps, kids. Uh, Do you remember they made a TV show about Gotti's family? Do you remember this? It was like a VH1 show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, yeah. It was was basically like a Kardashians type show. Yeah, pre-Kardashians, yeah. I always thought it was weird, though, like... You're a crime family. Oh, God, that's where, that's, where, that's where the blowouts came from. People think it's Jersey Shore, <laughs> sure, but yeah, Jersey, Shore, <laughs> Jersey Shore was actually years after blowouts. I'm probably... Yeah, like 2004. I'm, Those are the idiots. I'm probably missing uh, an obvious example. Did they ever make, like, a definitive John Gotti mobster movie? Are you kidding? What is oh, it? Oh, yeah. Which one? It's called Gotti. Gotti. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're John Travolta. Travolta we're right. John Travolta. I mean, <laughs> I've never seen it either. I don't think anybody saw it. It was like one of the most widely <laughs> paying movies. I want to see it. It came out like last year. That's right. One of the most, right, most, right, widely, right. Pay, most widely paying okay. movies of the year. I think it was direct to DVD or something. So yeah. I guess my question is, is there a good... No. At, well, no, okay, no, so no. so the, the market is still out there for a good, actual James... Uh, uh, theoretically. John Gotti movie. Theoretically. Hmm. Nobody cares about it. Nobody cares. You know, we... we Talked about it after we watched The Irishman, which Heather didn't watch. I'm sorry. Uh, we talked about Goodfellas. Talked about, I wonder, are mob movies, they don't ever really go away. People always kind yeah, of no, like mob the movies. Out. They're on the way out. Really? You think yeah, so? Almost, almost done forever, yeah. Is it be- the mob's not really a 
thing in the same way as it used to be anymore. Does it have to be a true story now? Could you make a fictional mob movie and have people be into it, or does it have to be connected to something that happened? Has to be, it has to be connected to the real thing. Okay, so I think Everyone that's... that's ever been successful has been somewhat connected to the real thing. Yeah, it's true. Even, like, even Goodfellas, like Godfather, yeah. it was based on... Well, Goodfellas is literally based on real people. Yeah, it's not their names. Good, and they it's, changed yeah, the name yeah, yeah, yeah. It's based on real people. Even The Godfather is a nod to like certain people and certain things mm-hmm. and kind of, you know... Stuff like that thrown over. Yeah, that that's what people like about like organized crime movies is that it it is some version of reality. I mean, I can't think of any famous mafia entertainment property that's not based on people. I don't know. There's like a show called Resilient that's on Hulu right now, uh-huh. and it's kind of like this fiction, like um, fictional kind of mobster show that's out. Mm. And I started watching it last night. And it's not too bad. Mm. I mean, you should... I don't know. I, I don't think... I think that it. that's how they have to go with it if they want to keep it going. I'll look if, into it. And if that doesn't work, then, yeah, it's, like you said, it's dying. But it was pretty good. I mean, Sopranos... I, I mean, we haven't talked about Sopranos at all in this. Like, that might be the best... My favorite single mafia piece of, like, content ever made. That is a fictional story, is it not? But it's based, like, very specifically on that one New Jersey family and, like, the people. And, yeah, like, who was the real Tony Soprano? I, I, don't, remember the, to, I don't remember the names. It's based more on a family and, like, there's a guy who's, yeah. um, like, an analog to Tony Soprano. But even that is still, like, based on kind of specific things where they make some changes. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any that are made up out of whole cloth, but I think the idea of... The Italian-American mafia is fading out of yeah. the collective consciousness as that becomes less part of real life and more... Now what most people know, and some of the tough guys that hang out in your neighborhood or in your area, and specifically a little bit different here in Utica, um, but like instead of those things that were real for maybe our parents' generation, now it's more about the movies for mm-hmm. our generation anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think a lot of what people can su- uh, think of as mob culture... Is mostly from what they see in movies. It is the movie, yeah, 100% movie now, yeah. especially. No, no, go ahead. I, I, was, I could do another, like, 10 minutes, so I don't really have to. <laughs> it's not important. I know you got other history lessons. I mean, too. this history lesson isn't great, so if you want to spend another 10 minutes on obvious stuff, it's just about The Simpsons. You talk about The Simpsons all the time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. I mean, we're 12 minutes in. I can, I can move past The Simpsons thing. The only thing is, as opposed to talking about Simpsons history... I did dig up a bunch of quote-unquote Simpsons controversies over the years and thought they were interesting to break down. Mm, the air quotes are important because I bet you're going to need them. Oh, well, here you go. This is controversy. a controversy. Uh, so in 1991... Uh, Click. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bill Cosby described Bart Simpson as a bad role model for children, calling him okay, Bill. angry, <laughs> confused, and frustrated. Okay, Bill. Uh, and then I just... I'll, I'll leave that one as it is. It's funny on its own. Uh, also true, yes, he was angry, confused, and frustrated, and just be like the best parents, but yeah, chill, Bill. Uh, on January of 1992, then-President George W. Bush famously said, we're going to try, we're going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family and make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. War criminal, next. <laughs> uh, Simpsons actually did two things to reference that. Uh, in the episode Stark Raving Dad, they did make a comment where they said, hey, we're just like the Waltons. We're praying for the end of the depression. Too. Uh, so a good line from them. And also, they did a whole episode where George Bush moves across the street from The Simpsons and gets yeah, in a yeah. fist fight with Homer. It's amazing. Was, I think it was it's specifically a media, like the culture, like the critique of media wasn't quite as sharp back then. Where mm-hmm. it's like, yo, Bart Simpson was never supposed to be a role model. Homer no, Simpson it's true. was never supposed yeah. to be a role model. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's 
It was a little bit different back then. People didn't really look into the media that they consumed as deeply and navel-gazingly as we do. But I agonize about week to week now, but, like, yeah. you know, we've overswung the pendulum, but the pendulum's all the way on the other side. And then in both 1995 and in 2002, um, like, seven seasons apart, Simpsons got in trouble for episodes about Australia and Brazil, specifically, that people thought were culturally insensitive to each place. Uh, so far, so for the Brazilian one, that uh, the country of Brazil actually tried to sue Fox afterwards. Um, so, I mean, I mean, cart- it is a cartoon. I do expect certain levels of, like, I don't mean, it is what it is. I mean, I expect most... If you're crapping on a country on a television show, I expect to get letters from that country being mad about it. Yeah, of course. Do you mean, like, I, that's the reality of it. Yeah. Well, of course, especially, especially as you popular know, as they were. Yeah, and especially as, like, you know, big guys punching down, too. It's yeah, never, yeah. It's never really been a great look. Uh, if you ever watch the Bart versus Australia episode, mm-hmm. it is kind of harsh on Australia. Of course it is. <laughs> it's pretty so that makes me want to go watch these. Now. That one is pretty funny, actually. Still. On Disney Plus. That is true. It's on Disney Plus. Uh, also on Disney Plus from 2009 uh, is the James Cameron classic Avatar, which came out this week and became the highest-grossing film of all time until this year. Seen Probably the most that. non-classic classic there's ever been. I really have no connection to it. It's so it weird to me really? that this movie is so popular in the. In the general like zeitgeist, I suppose it's not though. Is that's it the not? argument though? Is I feel like it that's just what I'm saying. There. I feel like it didn't. With non-classic classic, when who's have you ever met? And when do you even hear about Avatar? It's the first time I'm hearing. Um, this with you don't you guys. hear about Avatar. You don't talk to anybody who's like an Avatar freak. People don't go nuts for Avatar for a movie that was so big it had almost no staying power in the collective cultural consciousness. Uh, as of this year, until it was passed by uh, Avengers Endgame, it was the highest grossing film of all time. Because which it, it was so visually stunning. Yeah, I was going to just say that, because yeah. it was different. Visually, no, it was visually, it was breathtaking. Mm-hmm. I've still never seen anything like it. Like any of the Marvel movies, call it whatever you will, there's nothing like we see in Avatar when they drop that. Uh, yeah, so Endgame is number one, Avatar is number two, number three is Titanic, number four is Star Wars The Force Awakens from 2015, which feels kind of quick to get that high. And then, no, because it's the, it's the modern era, though. That's true. And then five is Infinity War, so two Avengers movies in the top five, one and five. It's so should will. those big numbers now than it used to be. Yeah, Jurassic World, Lion, yeah. the new Lion King, it's like, why? Wow, because wow, what, what's stuff. what's the metric you're talking about? Money maybe? highest grossing of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. back because in the '80s and even the '90s, these movies weren't coming out in China. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point, actually. Forget about it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, of course, true. Jurassic World is. Jurassic Park didn't play in China the same way. You know what I mean? That's true. Movies in the '80s, China hadn't even gone through like their revolution yet. Uh, so as of right now, and I just I we talked a little bit about the Avatar having no connection to us. Do you know they are making at least three more Avatar movies? Allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen the first one. Uh, Cameron agreed with 20th Century Fox to produce four sequels. Avatar 2 and 3 have completed principal filming and are scheduled to be released December of next year, 2021, and then December of 2023. So every other December for the next sure. four years. For the next forever. Uh, they're also building a section of Disney's theme park based around the land. Smart but late. Yeah, super late but smart. <laughs> Smart but late. And the then land it, in the movie is the most, one of the most enchanting things I've ever seen. It makes you want to live there forever. Yeah, the land of Pandora, I believe, is the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they, you can go to Florida and see it now, apparently. Probably going to be dope. Yeah. Probably dope. Do edibles first. <laughs> and then on this day... Spot the line. Uh, 2018. <laughs> I didn't say nothing. Uh, 2018. Uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary produced its word of the year, which in 2018 was justice. Uh, they did just put out their word of the year for 2019. What you guys it? know what it is? No. It is the word they. The word they is the 2019 word of the year. Uh, here's just a list of the last 
a couple years. So 2019, it was the word they. Mm-hmm. 2018, it was justice. 2017, it was feminism. 2016, it was surreal. Mm-hmm. 2015, it was just the word ism. Like hyphen-ism. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yep. Uh, 2014 was culture. 2013 is science. This is the one I had to go back to. 2007, it was the word woot. W-O-O-T. Oh, it was huge, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Spelled with two zeros. I thought I forgot about that. I can't believe that's a real thing. Big time. Uh, Apparently, they do choose... Since 2006, the list has been determined by an online poll and suggestions from visitors. So it isn't just them choosing it. It is based off of, like, search results, internet things, and people voting on it. So there you go. Uh, All right. Wow, 18 minutes? Jeez Louise. Uh, yeah, about history lessons. Yeah, they were good ones. They were good ones These this were week, good. actually. I thought they were good this week. I like them. Uh, I have one bit from other blogs here for you guys if you want to do that before no we... Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for content. All right. Okay. Uh, this is sort of a tough question. I've been holding off on this one. If we reanimate the great inventors in history, who would be most shocked as to what their invention has transformed into? It's a tough question. Because you have to think about inventors. Think about who invented what, yeah. where, what. The what, obvious what. answer that people were saying here was Alexander Graham Bell. Would bad he recognize bad take? Bad take. You don't think so? Yeah, no. See, I think he'd be very pleased mm-hmm. at the way the phone has turned into like this thing that is connected to all of us. Feel very powerful. Why would anyone hate that their invention? Like, why would anyone hate that? I, I don't know if it's necessarily is is the question people who would hate and be mad about it, or is it people who just wouldn't be able to believe? How just much surprised. Perfect. What their invention has turned into. I guess you can go back to, like, (laughs) Johannes Gutenberg, like, what the printing press eventually became, what it was sort of evolved into. There is, like, no real printing press anymore. I mean, I guess they still use them for major newspapers, but, like, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Tough question. I mean, I guess the point of the Alexander Graham Bell thing is, like, it started off as one thing and has turned into something totally different. So I guess you could... Has it? I guess how many people use quote unquote phones for like what we use phones for? When well, we first only in... call them phones because traditionally, and like they do that's have true. a calling feature, but like that's not really mm. his invention. It's a good point. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not really that's not really what he invented. Huh. What he invented is not really what we the black mirrors that we hold in our pockets. You know what I mean? Yeah. It has that feature and that ability to like call people. No, but I guess it's not you're really right. The yeah. same thing. What he invented was the way to like run the lines and like hook mm-hmm. up the microphones, that kind of thing. That's a good point. I'd have to do more research on this question, I guess. This is a tough one. Yeah, I don't really understand yeah. what they're... Yeah. This seems like one of those questions somebody asks specifically because they want to elaborate on their point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, and this is a little more broad one. Uh, many people say that food is the easiest gift one can give to themselves. What is your favorite food that you eat as a reward? Ooh. Hmm. Um, I can start off with this one. I am a sucker for any sort of uh, candied type item, like a you do love a candy like a gummy, like a sour gummied worm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a I'll, I'll reward myself with a bag of gummy sour worms here and there. It's one I'm of my not faves. A candy person. You're not a candy person. I'm more Chocolate? like no, I'm not candy really. At all. Like, I'm like more of sweet, like like a, a reward would be like something deep fried for me, like, sure. or. Taco Bell. I know it sounds weird, but I love no, that's, like, that's, no, that's, that's like if I'm having like a good day and I'm like, I just want some Taco Bell. That's actually that's fair. That's like my favorite thing to go get when I'm, obviously, you say it all the time. That's a really good point. Steak quesadilla high on my yeah. list. Like a Taco Bell like, steak oh, quesadilla. And when I eat it, I'm so happy. <laughs> no, I am. I'm just, I, like, I'll eat it all the way until I get home and then yeah, yeah. 
No one I'm knows I you. bought all the food, and there's yeah. more food that I act like I just got and that's what I'm eating. That's very specific. Like, I can't I even it. get out of the drive-thru without eating half that quesadilla. Mm-hmm. That cheese is like, I'm, I want some right now. Yeah. Well, also, Taco Bell's got such a short shelf life that if you wait until you get home to eat it, you've missed like yeah. 40% of the quality. Yeah. So, Kevin, what about you? you? have any specific one you're thinking of? I don't, I'm pretty uncomfortable with the notion of looking at food, food as, a as a reward. Yeah. Oh. Reward is really kind of the sticking point for me mm-hmm. here, and it's a, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit irrational that sure. my take on it. I'm aware that it's a little bit irrational, but I don't like the notion of like, oh, I'm gonna have this food as a reward for behavior. I think I more like <laughs> reward me with food. Go ahead, I didn't even catch you. I don't. I, just, I, don't, I, I, I don't know if I, I really look it. at like food as a as a reward in that way. Really, I, think, I don't know. I'm thinking like it as a capstone, right? Yeah, it's like, not a reward. An indulge, something. I, I really my sticking point yeah. I think is the word reward. So yeah. I guess you could use you're the right. word indulgence. I like I, I don't think that if I come home at the end of a Friday, of a long day, and I get a slice of pizza on the way home, mm-hmm. is that like a reward for a long week? I guess it kind of is. Like I like that ten minutes where I'm sitting down eating that slice of pizza on the way home. For me, I think it's tied. Um, it's tied in a little bit more financially. Sure. If I'm gonna indulge, you want to talk about reward? Reward would be something more like. Okay, yeah, we're going to go out to dinner. Mm. We're going to get some drinks. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get a $30 steak. I'm going to spend 120 bucks on a dinner for two with all the accoutrements, sit out and really have the thing and do it. That's a little bit more where I'm at, whereas, like, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to do the whole thing and sit down and have, like, a nice meal at a restaurant. That experience is more of what I would count as, like, a reward or an indulgence than any, like, specific food item. But also maybe I would feel differently if, like, I was... A healthier eater in general yeah, too, because right. like that's the thing for like yeah. Heather, Heather mostly eats like anything. If that's she finds one. it in her backyard, she eats it, <laughs> and that's mostly her diet. All through. but no, really, like you eat really healthy and you're super conscious of that. So when you go have something like a steak quesadilla, you're like, oh, this is a nice reward, a nice break. Whereas yeah. for me, I'm like, yeah, I feel like steak quesadilla. I think I'm gonna have a steak yeah. quesadilla. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it is. So I can is. see where that would probably be different as well. I eat a whole bunch of it in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin, I do like your strategy though, where you're yeah, like, you, you get secret food. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, my yeah, first thought, and then I get like, oh, right. I just got this piece of pizza. Uh, Made in Utica's Justin Parkinson. Uh, quick mailbag question before we close up: What's your favorite food to reward yourself with as like an indulgence? If you've like done something, like what's a treat you give to yourself? Jalapeno oh. pop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's great. I earned those. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically oh, from Arby's? Yes. Oh. Yeah, the only place. I looked up inventions for ones, you. Right? Oh, wait. Oh, Justin's oh, got, he's got yeah. some, he's he's got some inventions to oh, okay. read to us for the last one. All right. So I'll do it real quick. Creator of the pop-up. Up. Yeah, come on in. Yeah. Creator of the pop-up ad, Ethan Zuckerman. Ooh. It was supposed to be an advertising thing for a specific client and became uh, used by everybody for everything. Oh, that's a good one. Bastardized. I love it. Labradoodle. Oh. <laughs> Not supposed to mix dogs with that's doodles. That's the one you don't mix. They're crazy, dog. apparently. They are. Right wrong. Yeah. Wow, wild. Um, the guy who owned, who created the K-Cup doesn't even own a Keurig or use K-Cups. Oh. Huh. He said there's nothing better than uh, drip coffee doesn't take very long and K-Cup does not take very long. That's true, and it tastes better. So that's the guy who invented and said they're stupid. You can just brew a regular pot of coffee. Have you ever seen, I'll tell you what, speaking of Keurigs and K-Cups, have you ever seen the culture swing around so quickly? Oh. Like it was Keurigs were everywhere for like a year and a half and all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, this is horrible. We're not doing this Not biodegradable is his complaint. Not even remotely. Yeah, yeah. This is, my biggest hot take about Keurigs is every time I go to a place and I have a Keurig, if I have one cup, that first cup, I'm like, hey, this is pretty good and then after that they the cups get 
perpetually worse every time I drink them. There's like diminishing returns. I know it's an irrational take. I have no idea why. It's totally psychological, but it drives me nuts. For, For me, it just seems like more hassle than it's worth. Yeah. Plus, I'm probably going to have coffee. more than one. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah so I was like, I'm going to have more than one cup of coffee. I need a whole box to myself. Yeah, and I need I'm a just an asshole because those things cost like $25. Yeah. 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 actually end up taking more time than regular coffee because i got to make true. so many. And you wait for the water to heat up and you're just going to drive to a cup of coffee. Yeah, I'm just waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can follow Justin at Maiden Utica. You can follow Heather at Heather Waz One. You can follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom. Or just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts. We are taken over the web. Sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. The tape machines are rolling. We're desperately out of time. Next week is our Christmas episode. Yay! So if you want to send yeah. us uh, any sort of Christmassy mailbag questions or yeah, Christmas topics, anything you want us to talk about for Christmas theme stuff, send it to the website, send it to Twitter, send it to Facebook, send it to me on the DMs, whatever you want to do. Uh, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be back next week. Hopefully, Heather will be feeling well. I will be here. Yeah, yeah we'll hold you to that. Have a good weekend, folks. We'll see you next week. Thank you.